Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the October 8, 2023 session, focusing on Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. New Tenants. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Crystal Shepard. And I'm Daniel Glaze. Crystal, Daniel, Nikki, and I, we can all see that this is episode 425 because we have this kind of shared Google Doc that we do for each episode where we put some basic info up, including the number of the episode. <laughs> We've been doing this a little while, and every now and then we pause to take stock of what we're doing and how we're doing it and, and how well it's working for people. So I would like to invite you, our listener to help us understand the value of the podcast for you. Why are you listening? What is it because you're leading a small group? Is it because you find it personally helpful? Or is there some other reason? Maybe you are a worship leader and you use this to help prepare worship. Um, whatever it is, we would love for you to drop a comment. You can go, of course, to faithelement.net, click on the podcast tab. And then for any of the podcasts, you can actually leave a comment. And we would love for you to leave comments there and let us know what what you're using this for, how it's helpful, and if there's ideas you have for how we might uh, make it even more useful to you. The podcast has changed over time in certain ways. Certainly, we have various personalities that have been part of the, the podcast, but we've also changed our format a little bit. For example, we didn't always have a lead-in question, <laughs> and yet that's become a favorite, except for Nikki, a favorite part of that, <laughs> perhaps in, in part because our some of our small groups may end up finding that a good question to also begin with. So anyway, we appreciate you, our listeners. Hope you will share this with others. We love to have new listeners added to the mix, so I do hope you will let others know that's how we all discover cool podcasts. Well, we have what I would consider to be another difficult text, and therefore, Daniel is going to help us <laughs> get started with it. Daniel, we're all yours. All right. And let me just say, as people are leaving comments, it, if, if there are things that you, you think that we didn't cover in, in our conversation, or, or if you think maybe we got something a, a little wrong or insensitive, or, or if you have a different take, let us know that too. I'd love to to hear that because these texts do come around in another six or seven years, and who knows? We'll quote you on it. But anyway, <laughs> we'll probably be still be doing it. <laughs> probably. That's true. That's true. I'll be right here. I've been in full time ministry for uh, almost twenty years, and I've been preaching every week for seventeen years. But I recently passed a milestone. Earlier this spring, I preached my 1,000th sermon. If you include Sunday sermons, wedding homilies, funeral eulogies, last Sunday I preached my 1,020th. And considering I'm only about halfway through this full-time ministry gig, it's astonishing to me that I have that much to say. Honestly, I probably didn't have that much to say, but folks were kind enough to sit there smiling, pretending to listen. With all these sermons, you'd expect that I'd have covered the entire Bible by now. But every so often, I come across a passage that I've never preached from. And usually, it's an obscure part of one of Paul's letters or a passage buried deep in Leviticus. So I was surprised to read today's scripture lesson from Matthew 21, a parable nonetheless, and realize that I have never preached from this passage. 
I think that's because the lectionary pairs up this passage with Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And so I often choose those to preach on because they are a source of endless inspiration, I think. The lectionary also gives us part of Philippians 3, where Paul lists his qualifications, or as my grandmama would say, his bona fides. And then he says, yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Yeah, that'll preach. So yes, I typically select one of these. It's no wonder that I would choose to ignore this passage from Matthew, just pretend it's not there, because truth be told, I'm not entirely sure what it means. And of course, David could intuit that I didn't really get this passage, or perhaps he could smell my fear because he threw this one squarely at me. Let's take a look. This parable is about a vineyard and a landowner, two topics that Jesus has covered in other parables and teachings. But this one is markedly different. A landowner has a vineyard, and he leases it to tenants. Now, Jesus' hearers would have been very familiar with this arrangement. Only the very wealthy owned land. Most others worked the land and returned a portion of their produce to the landowner as partial payment. At the time of harvest, the landowner sends some slaves to collect his rent, produce from these fields. But the tenants, the ones working the land, violently beat and kill the slaves. So the landowner sent more slaves, and the same thing happened. Finally, the landowner sent his own son, thinking they wouldn't treat his own flesh and blood in such a manner. But no, they seized the son, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Jesus then asked the hearers, what will happen to these tenants? They replied, the landowner will put these good-for-nothings to death and will lease the land to other tenants who will give him the produce that is rightfully his. If you're wondering why I don't care for this story, I can give you about 32 reasons. So what are we to learn from it? In this parable, there's nothing wrong with the produce, but with the violent tenants. And when Jesus tells the story, he doesn't highlight the landowner's decision to send his son as a foolish one. That's very interesting to me. It's not the parable of the foolish landowner, after all. And the fact that Jesus shares this parable with the temple leadership should tell us something. After they questioned his leadership and authority, after they criticized him for his temple protest, they suddenly realized he was telling this story about them. If they were not going to do the work of God, if they were not going to serve God's children, if they were not going to do God's ministry justly and ethically and honestly, then God would kick them out and find new tenants for the vineyard. And when we hear this story today, we make a mistake to think that we might be the other tenants to whom the vineyard will be given after it's taken from the leaders who have not managed it well. Let us not fall into that trap of thinking we're the new tenants, of thinking that all those who came before us were faithful, but now we've got it figured out. That is, Jesus has left the vineyard to us. Because if we're honest, we've also been the ones who have rejected Christ and his message. So it should not surprise us to know that in many ways and in many places, God is working outside the church 
to bring God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know that in many of our Bibles, these 14 verses are called the parable of the wicked tenants. But I think this story is much more about who Christ is. One scholar says the story should be called the parable of the rejected and vindicated son. For Jesus is the son who has come to restore what rightfully belongs to his parent. Wholeness, healing, community, inclusion, grace, forgiveness, love for all. And we killed him for it. So instead of standing beside Jesus, feeling self-righteous, wagging our fingers in the faces of Jesus' opponents, perhaps we should realize that Christ may also be speaking to us. For we in the church have certainly turned Jesus' ministry of love and grace into a scandal. And that's a little background on our text for today. Daniel, thank you for getting us started on this truly quite difficult task, test, text. I can't speak today, but thank you for getting us started. So yeah, I find this to be a hard text to talk about. But what is interesting to me is it's a pretty straightforward text. Like a lot of the parables, you have to search around and figure out what the meaning is. With this one, it's there is clearly something to take care of. If you don't take care of it, you're going to be gone. So what if the vineyard is the church hmm. and we are the ones to take care of it? Have we done a good job of taking care of the church? I could answer that question about three different ways. <laughs> um, yeah. I, it, I could say, no, we haven't done a good job of taking care of the church. If we think being Christ's body, mm -hmm. the way Christ works in the world, the community, all those who come seeking Christ, mm -hmm. we've not done a good job of taking care of the church. Or I could say we've done a great job taking care of the church to the exclusion of anybody of everyone else. Yeah. We've 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 taken care of ourselves mm -hmm. and spent a lot of money on ourselves. Right. And we just trust that others will and not sure what you mean, but I've got several answers to that question. <laughs> I, I don't know that the parables are ever straightforward. Sorry, Nikki, I'm gonna Okay, I'm that's gonna, fair. I'm, I'm gonna fair. I'm gonna and the reason why I say that is so I was trained as a catechist with catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Okay. So working with the youngest of children, like preschoolers up through middle school, um, different um, atriums, atria is what they call them. And the parables are like one of the backbones of this work with children. And it's based on Mon a Montessori, Maria Montessori's work. And the parables, when you watch little children engage, this is not a parable that is <laughs> that the little children are engaged with. So let me go back. But my, my, I always thought the parables, like, here's a parable. This is what it means. And then I got into catechesis and there were some of the parables that we worked with that were completely flipped up on their heads. And I think that's maybe the way, what you just asked is what if it's the church. That's what a parable is supposed to do is cause us to question and go, huh? 
is this what I think it is or is it something Mm. different? And so I think when we try to pin it down, like Jesus meant this. Yeah. I think, I think it's meant to challenge us. And I think that's a really great question to ask about. And I love that Daniel's, I've got three different answers because I think that's what (laughs) Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to go. Yeah, I'm not trying to speak for Jesus. So I, I have certain ways I would answer it, but I just... I love the parables because they cause us to stop if we let them and think and see ourselves in that parable. And I like that we have the opportunity if we want to get a little uncomfortable to see ourselves in a different way as Daniel Mm. is describing. So just like when we work with the children about the parable of the good shepherd, like when I read it as an adult, it invites me to think about, am I the hired hand? Mm-hmm. Am I the one who is not tending to the flock like I need to be? Am I following in the footsteps of the good shepherd? So in this parable, how are we treating the church and are mm-hmm. we being good tenants of that particular vineyard? I like it. Yeah. So... That causes me to think of, of something I've said before, and I I really wish I know who first said this because the thought is not original to me, but I read someone who said, you might be getting close to grasping a parable when your response is, I'm not exactly sure what this means, but I don't think I like it. Like, right. like that's when you're like, okay, we're getting somewhere here. Right. And yeah, again, I've got several answers to the question of this parable. Are we or am I? one of the tenants who has rejected the landowner's son? Yes, I'm one of those tenants. Am I also one of the new tenants that Christ has asked to come and work this land, perhaps in some new and creative and different ways? Yeah, I'm that too. This this one's incredibly complex because sometimes I do think we, we see ourselves in a story and we say, I have been like that too. This mm-hmm. one, it it really causes us to step back and think and talk and consider some things that may be pleasant and may not be pleasant about ourselves and this movement called church. I like the end of this too when you said that because it, it's like the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable and realized he was speaking about them. And that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> Wait, with your lead in, it's, oh, that's, we can see ourselves in that. And mm-hmm. I hope that our listeners take the time to explore that as well, however uncomfortable that may be. Because what I find as I work in the counseling office, as I, when I went to seminary, it was like this, is true growth happens if we allow ourselves to become uncomfortable and to question things and to see ourselves both the shadow sides of us and the other sides of us. We all have, we're not all good and perfect. And so being able to look at all of that and how does that, how does, how do my actions align with Christ? How do I embody the way of Christ? And how do I go the opposite direction and allow myself to ask those questions? Because I think that's where growth happens. I think that's where we come into a deeper understanding of God and who God is and where we fit in this world, if that makes sense. So I I, I don't know. I'm just like, 
maybe I'll just go start exploring through some parables again, because I think it's good to be in that uncomfortable seat and to question things and to allow yourself to, what I say is that you get pulled apart and put back together. The pulling apart's not fun, but getting put back together is pretty amazing. And you, you mentioned that this parable tells us a lot about Jesus and about God. That's also troubling <laughs> with this parable. One, because I, there is clear, the violence in this passage is so powerful and present. If we assume that we are to see the owner of the vineyard at some level as perhaps representing God, then we have this, either this owner is foolish, as you said, and just keeps taking these actions that have terrible consequences, or there is something motivating a willingness to suffer, to be rejected. I'm struck by the amount of suffering that like, we know that Jesus ends up enduring and that God endures through this, that God's relationship with us is not one that happens without suffering on his part. I think on the other side of it, though, I see hope that like he's maybe he's hopeful, like he keeps sending and he yeah. keeps sending and he keeps sending in this hopes that they're going to they're going to listen. So there is a little bit of hope there, I think. I think you're right. There has to be something motivating this. Right. And, and that would explain it. And we see okay, that I'll across Scripture. God keeps trying to find ways <laughs> to connect with this rowdy creation. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I want to ask y'all something to see if y'all see it too. But if y'all don't, I don't, you got to take this out. The tenants were a part of a system that was not always just. And in that time, what if their violent reactions are a result of injustice against them? I've never thought of it that way. I considered that, and I think—I'm sorry, Crystal, no, I interrupted you. No, I, I, I was just saying I've never thought of it that way. I Because of the way it's told, I don't— I don't see how we—I was going to say I don't see a, a positive way to look at it from that perspective. I think the clear indication is that these tenants have sought violence, and—but I don't know. I, you Maybe you're seeing something that I—or seeing a perspective that I— No, I'm not— That's interesting. I just think if you're coming from that perspective, then the landowner would have to be the chief priest and the Pharisees. Ooh, okay, wait. hang on, hang on. Yeah. Okay, so listen, we put the title Wicked Tenants. That's not in the scripture. And if you go and read it, yes, they are violent. That, And I think that is not a positive thing. And it's reality. When people are oppressed, mm -hmm. eventually it gets to a point where their only option is die or respond with violence. I just think that last part, when if we're going to look at it that way, when it says the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables and they realized he was speaking about them. Mm -hmm. oh. Right. 
if you're looking at it that way, then the landowner is not kind. I, if the landowner is the Pharisees. Yeah, I just yeah. think that it's that's a so then again, the parable is causing us to think differently about what is what. So it it then changes verse 33. Okay. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. Verse 43. If, verse 43. Sorry. Yeah. So if it's if the landowners are the wicked ones, is that the is the kingdom of God will be taken away from them? From the, the kingdom of God being the vineyard, will that vineyard be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom? I, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's intriguing. I. So the question is, I don't know who did the chief priests and Pharisees. Where did they see themselves in this parable? Where did, it doesn't tell us, does it? It doesn't. No. No. And I, they do. The tenants produce fruit. They just want it for themselves because it's the land that they worked and labored on. Yes. I'm not I, condoning violence, by the way. I want to make that very clear. No. But it, I, I do think yeah. it's something to, I don't even know if it's accurate, but that's what I love about the Bible. I love digging in like that. So like, anyway, that's all I got. Yeah. So I will say, and it's probably my own biases here that I absolutely hear what you're saying. I think it's a unique perspective. I don't agree with you yet. <laughs> but, I don't even know if I agree but, with me. Right. <laughs> no, I, I agree with I mean, me. It's, but I, I need to say yet because I would need to do some more reading. I have traditionally interpreted this as so a little more of the static that that these that the religious leaders are those wicked tenants. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But who it causes us to question. And yeah. I think that's it's a doing, good I guess thing. It's doing Which its is, job. Yeah. That's yes, that's the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like good teachers who never really answer their questions. <laughs> oh, say, yeah. what? So frustrating. I know. Yes. And say, and David's laughing because he's an educator. Yeah. And with, but they say, What do you think? Mm -hmm. What does your experience tell mm -hmm. you? As if that counts for anything. So I don't have an easy wrap up for this one. <laughs> But things I was thinking about as I was listening to the conversation uh, include the ways even just the last few years have caused me to read Scripture differently, to hear it differently, to have it raises questions that it didn't used to. And some of that I put on the experience of the pandemic, to be honest, that it has shaken so many of the ways we think about the way we live, the way we practice our faith, the way we value things or don't, the way we spend our time and energy and lives, we are asking lots of really good questions. And it is refreshing, I think, for us to be able to return to scriptures that we may have looked at for years and years of our lives and to allow them to speak freshly to us, to ask us fresh questions, to cause us to encounter discomfort and puzzlement <laughs> that where we used to think it was an easy answer and an easy interpretation, maybe it never was an easy interpretation. Maybe it is the kind of struggle that you've heard us <laughs> encounter today as we've tried to grapple with this thing 
maybe that is ultimately what what we need to be about as we read scripture and as it reads us because it is a two-way street mm -hmm. i know i've enjoyed the conversation and i'm just <laughs> as puzzled or maybe more so now than i was before we started but i think that's probably a good thing because I will linger with this and it will linger in my mind and my heart as I struggle with it. Mm. Because I think in the end, we all, we want to be a people that produces the fruit of the kingdom mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what that looks like for us, for this time, for this place. Those are all good questions. Yeah. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.